Welcome to From. is a bi-monthly conversation held with some marvelous individuals coming from all around the world. With one special thing in common, a connection to Sweden. What does belonging mean? How does one's identity evolve throughout time, places and people? Those are the questions we will explore together. I'm Marie. And I'm Raphael. And today we're speaking with... Leonora. Well, hi Leonora. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome to From. Today is just me, I'm missing my co-host, but hopefully it's going to go well. Um, how would you introduce yourself to someone you just met? Yeah, <laughs> my name is Leonora. I'm 23. Yeah, I'm 23. I live in Sweden, from Sweden. Stockholm, to be, pre- to be precise. I have just finished my bachelor in Arabic and Middle Eastern Studies. I have a lot of different interests, but I don't seem to get the time for all of them. But in general, I am brought up in a musician family, so I've spent most of my years in the cultural sphere with musicians and the classical music world. (laughs) Uh, So I feel quite at home in the cultural sphere and uh, have a lot of interest, but I... I never got to the instrumental side. I stayed with myself. I stayed with my body. I'm dancing. And I stayed with my uh, lungs singing. So I spent 18 years singing in choirs. So your body is your instrument. Yes. I don't really trust tools. Something that is outside of my body. Um, I've never really felt at home with instruments, okay. never sort of felt the connection with it. So, um, yeah, but I have a lot of different interests and I try to get to know the world through different ways. I mean, I do North Indian dance and then I read a lot about China and economics and stuff like that. So I try to widen my net and have sort of one leg or arm in each continent. So I'm feeling like Middle East stretching over Far East Asia and then to the further ends of Asia. That's that's by belt, I think, eventually. So yeah, I think that, that that's that's my ecosystem. <laughs> Quite an ecosystem. Yeah, I, I, I like to be feel like I'm not Swedish or I'm not living in Sweden. Um, so, I like to feel like I'm bigger than I am. Well, perfect transition to the little introduction uh, that I have prepared. So one afternoon, we were walking around Stadsbiblioteket, Stockholm City Library. From Sveaveg in 92 to Observatory Lunden, a little park rising up over the city, we, were, we went chatting about the countries each of us had grown up in. 
At some point, you talked about the uncomfortable feeling of not feeling home in Sweden and how you had more and more of a hard time relating to its society and values and that you would more likely see yourself living abroad. What does home evoke for you? Um, I think that's my personal biggest issue, that I don't have a sensation of home. Uh, I always find myself in that reflection when I speak to my partner, who is on the other side of the planet, of his home. And... Um, Uh, being away from home, creating a new home, and as opposed to me being in my home, being in the same city for now 23 years, but still feeling like I don't have a home. Um, being very sort of far away from everything and having a very hard time relating to not only just us a city or a country but also a society and a culture and people and uh, I, I can I can like deconstruct it and say why that is but it, it is it's just a circumstances that come together I come from a family that uh, don't necessarily or rather my parents because I've grown up with just my parents so I'm I'm an only child and uh, I grew up in this house <laughs> and uh, I would say that both of my parents do not emulate a very Swedish character which I have inherited and I also have so in that way I feel like they as people or as individuals have crossed a, a stage where it doesn't really matter uh, because I think also to be doing your own thing and, and not for example have a, a sense of uh, relatability and a, a stability I think you either need to have a strong sense of self and you have an inner stability which enables you to not feel the need to relate to things or relate on a very small level and create a structure on yourself. I think that takes a lot of time. Or you have to have another sense of strong sense of safety and safety net and, and I can feel like I don't have that. I don't have a big family, I don't have a big circle and um, I don't have a characteristically Swedish behavior, interests, I can feel very hard for me to relate to a Swedish culture, current culture, and um, current setting. I know that my parents act in a very un-Swedish way. I can feel like all the three of us are of a more South European style. A um, lot of strong opinions, a lot of interrupting people, a lot of ideas that spin very far. And that is a very un-Swedish characteristic. Swedes in general are very lagom, basically. <laughs> it's the biggest, best way to describe Sweden. Everything's an average, and, and I mean, that stems back from a long period of a lot of different things, and uh, it also has to do with values which I can relate to, because, I mean, if Sweden is a country that was extremely poor until 
we started exporting on a quite large level our natural resources and that made our assets very much more stable we did not enter we haven't had war in at least more than 200 years and um, we have grown richer by exploiting the native population and we have a stable sort of influx of money and uh, we have created a system based on the foundational values of equality and solidarity i mean that has been an extremely core central aspect of being a swede to be honest like from 1950s and onwards like we are all equals and, and that has to do with logum as well like you don't need more than what is enough enough is enough you should have what it is enough but you don't need more and that value like logum all of that i can find that to be extremely beautiful that in the 70s the golden era of sweden in a lot of people's minds when there weren't people begging out on the streets everyone had an average home and everyone was satisfied with that and worked really hard i would say that the work ethics in sweden is very strong people work very hard because they want to show that they are worthy of what they have and that you have to basically do what is required and therefore you provide not only for yourself but for everyone else and Jantelag is, is like a cultural core foundation. It's a psychological value system which basically says just come to throw what you're better than no. You shouldn't think that you're better than anyone else. And that in principle I can find I can personally relate to. I think I find that to be sincere and uh, honest and 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 i can stand by that because because i can relate to it and i do agree on the other hand sweden looked very different we did receive a lot of people from other nations but not to the same degree as other nations have had so on the other hand it is easy to say we're all equals because we are literally all the same we look the same we have the same we do the same and then it's very easy to just say we are the same if there are other people with other values and other things, it is not as easy any, anymore. Mm. But the core value, we're all the same. It's a very Swedish sentiment, but it also has this effect that um, you shouldn't go too far, even in a social setting. You shouldn't... Swedes don't interrupt each other. <laughs> you don't have really strong opinions. And um, because there's always the side of that mantra you shouldn't think that you're better than anyone else which is that it also creates a very minderhets complex uh-huh. is the Swedish word inferiority complex basically That uh, so I mean I think in general Swedes have a little bit on average less self-confident than in some other cultures and that also has its issues so like with everything there are sides to all of the different sides Sweden produced an incredible social welfare structure which which provided work and education healthcare infrastructure for 
not super many people, but still a lot of people. And people worked hard. People were out protesting in the streets for the Vietnam War. People were out protesting for a lot of different things. And people had opinions and people stood by the sentiment of solidarity. Although now that is very much shifting. Capitalistic influences and values are really dominating right now, I would say. And, and so that same inner principle and identity of we are all here together, we provide for each other, and uh, on both a practical and an ideological level is disappearing. Because that also created a very spoiled generation. I think from the 80s onward, it has produced new generations which take very many things for granted and don't really see the aspect of what I need to do, what are my obligations. It's more of a discussion of what is my rights without the correlation of how those two go together. And a very strong sense that sort of the state is going to provide for everyone here. But who is the state? The state is the people. Mm. And there's a disconnection from uh, the state should provide free healthcare and good schools and blah, blah, blah. But there's also a retraction where everyone is pushing it away. The state is going to fix this. The school is going to fix this. My kids, someone else is going to parent. The, the teachers are going to parent my kids. Someone else is going to get my stuff. And I... I'm, <laughs> I have my rights and those I'm entitled to because this is Sweden. So I can feel extremely misplaced and uh, very hard time relating to Swedes. Feeling like you're living in a solitude, basically. There is, what do you relate to? I mean, if I go across the planet, I would probably say, well, <sighs> in Sweden you do this and probably if I... If I go in another context, which I'm in in a much more higher degree, maybe I would be appreciating a lot of things, which I already do on the one hand, but probably emulate more Swedish sides. I, there can be a poverty of ideas in this cultural context because people are very shy in, in general and uh, unimaginary because... We are so extremely confined because we have systematized everything and everything is, there's really an efficiency storm, which I think in many ways captivates imagination, creativity and just outspokenness and people who are different. I can feel like we are all sort of crushing a little bit that by our systematized structure because everything is systematized and there's, we are individualistic. I think a lot of people can perceive, but on the other hand, we are quite collectivized. We are ev everyone is supposed to be like this, and if you're not, you can be very socially isolated. And um, I can feel like I, as my parents, sometimes can fall in that side of the social sphere, where there's not really much stimulating interactions because people are extremely confined in a very cubic structure and uh, yeah it's it's both frustrating but also very lonely yeah, I think you, you pointed out something that I wanted to uh, talk about as well this kind of uh, 
image that we have of Sweden as a very cold culture. And once you mentioned that um, here's uh, social distance is a culture, so there is at the same time this very collective value where everyone is uh, providing for everyone and a strong sense of community in a way, maybe very restrained as you said, uh, and at the same time a very individualistic, lonesome behaviors kind of. For me, I have just experienced Stockholm mainly, and I was not that shocked when I arrived in Stockholm and saw that people were not really interacting with each other because I was, I had been studying in Paris for four years before and there it's pretty cold as well and people not really talking to each other, which is very different uh, in the countryside or in smaller cities. So I was wondering if, um, if you had experienced other places than Stockholm or this very urban life and maybe you could Uh, see a difference between those two or is is this social distance culture very prominent all over Sweden or does it vary in the country? Well, for example, um, to start with the behavior because I think a lot of foreigners um, including no, not including myself, but also myself uh, can really perceive a Swedish urban behavior as extremely cold um, very unfriendly, very unwelcoming I mean, there's this saying that, I mean, it's very really hard to get to know Sweet, but once you do, you're friends for life, blah, 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 all that. Uh, but, for example, I talked to an uh, Italian guy, I think. He came here because he was like, oh, this is the socialist dream, I thought. The union labor uh, tradition in Sweden has been extremely strong. Labor rights was something that we really fought for with everything we had and that's something I as a personally can feel extremely proud of that's something I as a suite can relate to this collective massive organization of people on a very low level uh, that changed this country literally really 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 changed it uh, but he felt when I discussed this with him for example he said felt that this was just such an anticlimax I mean what is this This is the capitalistic epicenter and people are, Swedes are so unfriendly and blah, 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 blah. And I can totally agree. Uh, but I think that, for example, Stockholm has an identity crisis. Uh, because there is the sense of, of uh, cosmopolitan feeling and there's a lot of movement, things going on. And uh, this n wish to be a very international city and having a very modern life, blah, blah, blah. But that, I think, stands in conflict with a very Swedish behavior and their Swedish mentality. We are, a, this is a small country. This is not very much people. And people have not been traveling here. There has not been an in and outflux of people. In the same degree that it has been in Italy or Spain or Lebanon or China. There has been people moving for thousands of years and people are used to it. People know how to deal with it and it's a part of the culture, it's a part of the structure, but it isn't here. And I think Stockholm as a structure, both from a bureaucratic perspective, but also a personal like citizen perspective, that this is a cosmopolitan city. But people aren't cosmopolitan. <laughs> 
Swedes don't know how to behave. They don't. They are not used to it. And personally, I think a lot of people are overwhelmed. There's so much people. There, there, there's so much people. I mean, for Sweden, ten people is a fucking crowd. <laughs> if you go to China, ten people is nothing. <laughs> so I think there's a real identity crisis in Stockholm, especially. Just hundred years ago, I mean, we were a farmer and agricultural and forest. Uh, most of the Swedish population were working in the forests and uh, agricultural. I mean, there weren't that much people, really not much people. So we are not used to that. And we are very uncomfortable with it. And we don't know how to deal with it. We don't have the mentality right now. We don't have the experience of that, that people from other countries do. So a lot of people, a lot of Swedes are very uncomfortable with people and very, they don't know how to to behave or to do when someone they don't know approaches them and that is for Stockholm because there's more people there's more things going on a lot of stimulation and that's for example why I think there's a lot of time going into phones in the public space in the public space people are very unopened I actually had a teacher who came here from France, I think 10 years ago, and the first thing that she reacted to was the fact that no one looked her in the eyes. That she was out in Stockholm and no one was looking at her. And then I can think like, okay, for women it's very nice because sure, sexual harassment exists, but it happens, it's mm. very rare, mm. you are left alone, you're not, I mean, not even looks to be honest. Mm. And that can be very nice. It can be very soothing, liberating, very comfortable because if you come from a context where you are always on on prepared sort of from the external world, that's very exhausting. Mm. And that does not exist here. But the downside then of course is that there's very little interaction. And that has gotten worse I think in the last 10 years because of phones. Now everyone is interacting with their phone and not really perceiving the world outside. Because we are not very used to other living bodies very close to us. But if you go outside of Stockholm, I think that if you talk to a Swede on the countryside, they would have sort of the same opinion as this, for example, Italian guy that I talked to. He said, oh, Swedes are so unfriendly and posh and most Swedes on the countryside feel like that about Stockholm people. Uh, on the countryside on the other hand the presence of the state and the country and other people is very less so people also understand their need of other people. If I'm living in one place and there is 50 kilometers to the next person or if there are, let's say, 10 people in a 2 kilometer radius and then nothing. Then you are aware of your vulnerability. And then I think you are more aware of the necessity to keep good relations with people around you. I see, especially among people in my age, but also a little bit older, people are feeling very lonely as a culture.
especially in urban cities, because that sense of community doesn't exist. Uh, I think a lot of young Swedes feel alienated. And I think it's excavated by social media and sort of the mirage which that creates of this perfection or whatever. And um, I think a lot of Swedes are suffering quite a lot from this culture where you spend a lot of time alone. I wouldn't call it a revelation, but it really struck me when I, me and my partner were going to a weekend getaway, or not getaway, but we were meeting his friends. And I found it to be so horrible. I was so exhausted. It was like a room and then a small kitchen and it was five people and it was for two and a half days. And I was so exhausted. I was sitting there like, I can't do this. Too much people, too close. And like, oh, I need space. Just, I, w I think I went out on five walks that weekend. I mean, though it was very nice in one hand, but, and then we discussed the fact that I realized how extremely Swedish I am, how uncomfortable I am with a lot of people for a long duration. And I think I would not be alone with that. I think a lot of Swedes would feel exactly the same thing in the same situation, that we are so used to spending a lot of time alone. Uh, sure, now people spend it on their phones, but still, you are alone quite a lot. And uh, you live in big houses or in big apartments. I mean, maybe you're three in an apartment. You are not 12 in an apartment. <laughs> that mm. does not happen. I mean, the, 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 the notion of privacy is a very Western thing also. And especially mm. Sweden. Here, like, privacy is such a need. Like, from six years old, you're supposed to have a room of your own, and you should get your own space, and you should be left alone, and you are entitled to your own privacy, sort of. Whereas in, I think, most other contexts and cultures, actually, that is a very unusual thing, to the degree that it is here. And uh, I really found myself surprised by myself because I'm sort of, I'm almost like, but I do like to hang out with people. I do like people who just interrupt and there's a heated discussion and it's not just sitting on your small little space and respecting everyone speaking their own way, blah, blah, blah. But then I realized like, oh, fuck, I'm so Swedish. <laughs> this is horrible. I, mean, I need my own space. It takes physical confrontation to really know where you stand, yes. and sometimes it's really hard to know how contradicting you are with what you crave for or what your exactly. ideas are. Because I can always, I, I can, I can easily romanticize uh, a lot of more social cultures who are very more, much more um, strongly interacting. Because my parents are a little bit more that is well, very. Not on the defensive side, very onward, for speaking. So I, I can a lot of times romanticize about it and sort of feel like I wish I was in such a culture. But on the other hand, I can feel like there is a side of, of my relatability that resonates with this solitary um, sphere, which is a part of this culture. But on the other hand, it is an issue for youngsters, I think. And uh, a lot of young people are suffering, really suffering. Uh, they don't know how to deal with solitude. 
they don't know how to deal with this. I think I think I really think alienation is the word. I think a lot of young Swedes don't know who they are because you get so much space here to just be physically in this space and just sit yourself with that question because it naturally arises like who the fuck am I? Where's my home? Where's my people? Like who am I? Who are these? It's just very much time and space for that. Uh, but I can't specifically like pinpoint what I don't like in a homogeneous environment, but in the student environment, I can feel that there's a naive disconnection from reality, which I went into knowing when I entered Lapis, but I can also in this setting, this culturally very heterogeneous setting, which I really like, I like that. I mean, I'm curious. I want to know what do people eat? I mean, you live in this province. What do you eat then? Or what do you do? How is life? Or you live there. Or you come from there. But what is expected of you? Or what is expected of you? How do you behave? How do I behave? I like that. I, I really enjoy... I'm culturally curious. But I can feel very forced student culture. I don't appreciate this sort of innant need like now we are young and we have to do this and that i mean i automatically refrain when something is said to me this is what you should do because of this and because of that or because you are this or because you are doing this now you should do this like all of us so on one hand i really refrain from any sort of compulsive community behavior we are this group and this is what we do on the other hand, I do crave it. As part of my Swedish identity, I crave a sense of belonging. I, could, I can feel very disconnected and not being able to relate to that. But on the other hand, there are other sides which I really enjoy. The heterogeneous side and the new ideas, new things. Because uh, I could also remember when I started my program three years ago. That summer I had worked in Hemtjänst, which is basically elderly care in Sweden. So I had spent one and a half month. And uh, it was horrible, because <laughs> I emulated that suffering, which I felt so extremely strong. And I could, it was just literally being with I wouldn't say death, but how time takes a toll on us and just literally seeing how a body loses its, its functions, how it starts to loosen up, how everything becomes a hustle, the frustration of not being able to take care of things that you once could, how you have to surrender to someone else for some the most intimate situations in life you lose a bit of your self-confidence in that process or you retain a distance from yourself from the physical body because that's a part of it the big part of it or you 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 fuel yourself with anger but all at least two of those three options means a lot of suffering and i just re felt like it was just overtaking me and uh, to be honest it was horrible I Anyways, 
So that part of sort of reality and the complexion of reality and sort of how does reality actually exist. And then I entered sort of campus at the university, like, I don't know, two weeks later after this had finished. And just seeing people go around in their uh, fashionable handbags and with their phones and lattes and coffees and just no care in the world and just, oh my god, so much. And I'm exam tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And it just felt so superficial. And I can feel, still feel that sensation in a homogen, homogeneous group where it's like, there is so much outside and there's so much things. And, and just because we are in this group, we have noticed that, that because we are this person and we have this identity, and we are this age or this group or this culture, this is what we should do. And uh, that mentality and sort of, it can just bore me, but also feel like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Also, student, why do I want to do? Why don't I want to do this? But on the other hand, like, why should I want to do this? Or why would I want to do this all the time? Or why am I going to all these things and not finding them enjoyable? Why do I? Why can't I relate to people? And in that sort of, you don't want to emulate something which you don't feel relate to your identity. But on the other hand, if you don't relate to something, then what is your identity? And if you don't have an identity, what the fuck are you? So I'm, I'm always in this sort of how to do, what to do. How is, how is one going to, I mean, how do you relate? Uh, do we really relate to people? Because I mean, I also find, also find myself there. At, do we find ourselves at home in groups and in different settings? Or are we just fooling ourselves? Well, I, I feel like you are, um, you don't like to be... Uh, circled or locked in an identity and mm. the, f the fact that we can have multiple identities we can be a Swedish person we can also be a student we can also be uh, I don't know religious we whatever and I feel like you need movement and mm. feeling this identity doesn't mean that you should embrace everything that should uh, so to say, come with this identity. Mm. And talking about movement, um, we had once talked about this trip that you took alone mm. uh, when you were 20-ish, yeah, something. Like that, yeah. And uh, when you went uh, three weeks, if I can remember well. Oh, no, I think, I don't think it was that long, but a week, I think. Oh, a I week in Turkey. And I, w I was wondering, uh, because this is like, also physical movement, not just um, ID-wise uh, movement, but how did you, what did it mean to you to step out so far also uh, geographically and culturally from Sweden on your own? Well, um, I know I don't want to be here because I don't relate to so many things and I don't get inspired here. So I know for a long time and I've always known that I don't want to be here. And I, as I think most people want to know myself as strongly as I can and trust myself and know that I can deal with things myself. I think a lot of, in growing numbers, women have a growing sensation of that independence and sort of 
acting affirmatively and so part of the trip was like physically relying on myself to not only trust myself but also know how to deal with certain situations and I wasn't there to to meet new people I'm inherently an extremely shy person I'm not very socially capable but anyways I wasn't there to, to make new friends I, I was there to test myself and that's something I realized when I was there. If, I, if, I, if someone had been with me, like we always do, we send, we create a sense of safety above what is known. And if, for example, if we're in a new place and there's people around, we naturally, and I think psychologically, uh, create a structure around. And for example, if people abroad, they naturally are drawn to people from their own country. I mean, but that also, I think, inhibits you from perceiving the external world outside this safety net. So I also felt like I could experience Istanbul, which is where I were, more profoundly because I was alone. I wasn't talking to anyone. I was exploring alone. Uh, that sensation of coming close to something and uh, getting familiar with something and accepting it. Like not refraining from... Uh, a setting which is unknown, which is foreign. Uh, but if you really, like, honestly um, let something very unusual and foreign and uh, something that you're not used to get very close, it's a very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable situation, which I don't think most people let things go to. A lot of people go in big groups, travel in big groups, because that means they can push the external new world and experience way a little and that's comforting I mean it's just a sense of safety if you as a person can create such a stable core that you can let the very new and unknown things get very close you can really experience things without being frightened scared or uncomfortable so and, I mean, the world is full of different ideas and ways of doing things and new tastes and new circumstances and new ways of thinking of things, new ways of talking of things. And, I mean, a lot of us are curious, but curiosity is also can be very uncomfortable and also be painful. But, I mean, we're all just trying to deal with pain and suffering. I, we all know it's there. <laughs> We're just all trying to deal with it. Um, so I, I think that's my inertia to travel alone, to really test my own boundaries. Because I, I, can, I can compare with my partner who, who has traveled a lot alone. And I can clearly see that we don't perceive it in the same way. Mm. And the sense of uh, trust women don't have the luxury of having unfortunately that also means that you can't really be perceptive above everything and not everyone um, otherwise you can get really unlucky that's not to say that everything in the world is dangerous and you have to stay away from it but I can I can in discussions realize that there is something in a young man's perspective 
on, for example, traveling alone or speaking to new people or being in a new unknown environment, perceiving new ideas and all of that can be very much more uninhibited. That if you are a female, there is always an, an external parameter there which you can't get away from. Mm -hmm. But then again, I think it might change if, for example, women who are very fit and have worked very much with their body, trust their own strength. I think that, in that way, because I'm not that person, <laughs> I wish I was, but uh, in those instances, maybe you can have a little bit more faith because you also have a physical faith with yourself. Mm. Um, but I'm not there, so I can't afford to be... I don't want to risk anything. Coming back on a totally, not totally different, but coming back on the um, very beginning of the conversation when you were right. saying that you had very broad interests, I was quite impressed of how aware you were about why you had those interests and why uh, you had this relationship with music, for example. And there is one family of interest that I know you have, uh, or I think you have, at least, mm -hmm. that I would like to talk about is uh, your relationship to languages. And you're the first and so far only native Swedish speaker on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I my idea is that you probably have a very, very different relation to Swedish, first of all, than our other guests have. Mm -hmm. um, and also you speak English in quite a perfect, fluent way, in my perspective. And you have, uh, you are studying in English, I think, most of your programs. Mostly, yes. Mm. Um, from what I have understood, you have quite a fair level of Arabic and Hindi, I think. I'm on the progress of developing that. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's yeah, 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 what sure. I was mm -hmm. wondering yeah. about. What is your different relation to those different languages? And I don't know, maybe you have others uh, that I don't um. know of, so you're very welcome to mention. It really stems from my family, or is especially my mom. If I should describe her home, which I'm at right now, it's very eclectic in its nature. It's the least we can say. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's very eclectic. Um, mm. And there's not a wall where there's not a bookshelf on. Uh, but basically, she is a inherently recurrent person. Language has been a part of my sort of closer, close-knit family. A lot of people in my surroundings, especially my, my godmother, who has been teaching Hindi at the university. So the normality of language and quite far distant languages has sort of always been omnipresent. I think my mother really has incorporated in me that to in order to understand a culture, you have to know the language really. And to understand people, you have to know the languages. And the hidden undercurrents in a culture and in, in a mentality in a way of living is can only be understood through language and that's even something that the professor at my institution that was the first thing he said basically I mean the way we think is structured by our language if we don't have words for colors 
we don't perceive the world the same way. Mm. If we have 15 words for snow, we can see the minute details and the beauty of snow that's falling. Mm. Uh, if we have 20 different words for how a camel walks, we also perceive differently depending on the structure of the language and how verbs, how structural changes in the language, the fact that uh, in Arabic you start with the verb and in Swedish you always start with the subject. Um, so I mean, it's all of these small little things which, and that really my mom has instilled in me that you can only understand something if you have a, uh, a language perception of how people think because mm -hmm. that's that's the inherent consequence of that that and also it helps when you have a person so very close to you who is extremely receptive to new things so you by default also learn to be perceptive to new things and don't refrain because a lot of people do refrain uh, and I think that's one of the most incredible things about my mom which I've gained from her that to be receptive and be curious uh, to not push things away like most Swedes I would say actually do because we we are both self-conscious and we have a little bit of self-doubt and really not used to people being different so that, that's sort of the language in general but then I can have a perspective on, on Swedish as a language um, from another side which is uh, singing. Uh, I think I've been singing since I was six and I think I can easily say that I went to the most prestigious choir education in Sweden. So I mean I'm, I'm very familiar with Swedish choir tradition which is very strong for the person who does not know that. Because it's also community-based activity. Mm -hmm. You are with other people. You're all supposed to, to succumb to the mutual sound and the mutual harmony. To anyone who hasn't sang in a choir, it's, it's really hard to explain, actually. But once you reach a certain level and you start to harm harmonize, you can't hear yourself. You just hear the mass of voices together. Mm. Uh, and that also sense the connection when you're all breathing together. It's a very close sense of physicalness. Now that I think of it, maybe that's our cure to our social distancing, singing together. You feel very, without touching each other, you're feeling very close. After this choir competition in Rome, and there was, I think it was the final performance where we did an acapella piece, and usually you stand in a half moon, it's the common way of doing mm -hmm. it, but. Or, or, for example, encircling the audience. So the sound is coming everywhere. It's not like the sound is coming in front of you and you're perceiving it here. But it's rather coming all around yourself. And that's also has to do with traveling. Like, you can't refrain from that. Now the sound is really coming on all ends. And you can't push it away, even if you'd like it to. It's not coming from in front of you, reaching you. It's coming from all sides. So you can't push it away. I mean, that that is one of my best moments in life, I have to admit, because that sensation of closeness to totally random, unknown people in a hall hundreds of miles away from anything that's familiar and just 
getting such a close sensation with total strangers just by the sound uh, connecting to Swedish as a language. If you compare a Balkan choir or a Finnish choir even with a Swedish choir and you're singing the exactly same song, you can differentiate which is the Swedish choir. Because the Swedish sound is, I mean, it's it's even been researched, to be perfectly honest. And that has to do with the Swedish language. It's a very singing language. It sounds very, it has a lot of variations and intonations. and Yeah, yeah I mean, if we're talking linguistically, mm-hmm. one can basically say that we press out air with every consonant and vowel that we produce. And there's, it's very airy. The language itself is very sing-friendly, sing I would say. So it's basically a very <laughs> communal, egalitarian way of singing, <laughs> which does not necessarily require super much technique. In, uh, in other choir traditions, it's more common for a more individualistic style. I mean, individual singers in a choir usually stand out more, mm. use a lot of more so solistic qualities in their singing, and choirs have more... More heterogeneous sound. Swedish choirs are quite the opposite. It's very much no individualism. There's no soloist style anywhere. It's really much a one unified airy voice. Getting back to it, mentality and, and even choir tradition. So, yeah. Wow, that that was a rich conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I felt I feel like we had quite a trip of uh, ideas and concepts and experiences and yeah. and yeah, it was really fascinating. <laughs> really, thank you for that. Thank you, thank you for listening to me for chatting for hours oh, and hours. It was fascinating. <laughs>